Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Bookmarked and Dog-Eared, a podcast about storytelling and creativity. I'm Meg Aki, and today I'm sitting down with Brian McGee, Creative Director of Development at Vice News. McGee graduated from SCAD with a BFA in Visual Effects in 2007. Previously, he worked as a motion media designer on Marvel movies and on TV branding. But now, he works on Vice News Tonight, using motion graphics in lieu of a host. So today we're asking the question, how do you tell a story with design? Could you describe a little bit about what you do at Vice? Yeah, sure. I, so I currently work as a, a creative director at, at Vice, specifically on Vice News. Um, and I think sort of the general gist of what I do is um, add sort of a, a creative um, theme and outlook and vibe more or less to uh, the news production, which can sort of typically be um, not the most creative of spaces. So that involves like a, a lot of different things. It can involve sort of like everything from animation and design, how we can like implement animation design into uh, news storytelling, all the way uh, to like how we can shoot things in a camera more interestingly. Uh, also how we can build sets and um, sort of camera setups inside Vice Media, inside the studios we have to sort of like tell stories in a more interesting and unique uh, voice. Um, yeah, uh, that's sort of the like the short of it. Well, what's sort of like the first thing that you would consider when you're like telling a story visually? For me, it, it depends. Um, I, it's because I sort of work in the news and documentary space, it's not like we have the liberty of sort of recrafting the story to tell it visually as you would if you were telling a, a fictional narrative where you can you know, rearrange the narrative. If you would want to achieve a certain visual, you want to achieve a certain feeling, uh, you can sort of rearrange the narrative a bit in fictional storytelling. When you're telling sort of a news and documentary uh, piece, you don't necessarily have that liberty because you sort of have to stick to the facts. You obviously can craft a bit of a story on how you tell those facts in which order and how you set those scenes up. Uh, but beyond that, um, you're sort of stuck to the actual factual information, especially if you're trying to sell tell a news story specifically. So for me, it, it kind of comes to this place of like, well, what is the sort of emotion and like what, what emotional state do I want to put the viewer in while we begin to tell this story? Um, and typically for news stories, we're trying to tell stories that are in animation design that you can't tell via shooting them on the street or shooting them with a camera. So oftentimes it's something behind the scenes um, or something that happened behind closed doors, um, specifically with like, you know, the Trump administration over the past four years. I just try to start as a place where like, you know, you read over the material, you read over what the story is, you sort of have a, a background knowledge of what the story is. And I try to think about, all right, well, if I'm a viewer of this, like, what does, how does this make me feel? What sort of memories do I have of things that have happened like this in storytelling prior to me, um, prior to this story that I can sort of like reach for? Um, so, you know, it's like different stuff. If, if we're telling a story per se, like on, you know, Robert Mueller's investigation, um, of Trump and his Russian connections, you know, it's kind of like this spy-ish story. So where can we find sort of find like emotional inspirations and visual inspirations that like draw on that background to, to cast these stories in a unique, interesting way. Um, my goal is always to like make the news not boring, 
um, and make documentary telling like not so boring all the time. And and uh, I, I always want to sort of put things in a visual space that that makes them seem intriguing. Yeah, that's sort of like what's most like striking, like noticeable about like a lot of things that you've been doing is that um, it makes it a lot more accessible to a lot more people, I think, and like broadens the audience so that even people maybe don't normally watch the news. It's a lot more engaging and like visually interesting to watch. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's a, you can like absorb it a bit where like, you know, if you watch nightly news program and, and there's some guy talking at you for 45 minutes can feel, especially for young people, like a bit disingenuous, you know, like clearly this guy had like an hour's worth of makeup put on before he went on stage. He's not Walter Cronkite. He's reading off a teleprompter and you just aren't like sort of engaged with it. And with young people who are often sort of like more visually engaged with the information they're used to taking in uh, for whatever reason, I think if you can make things sort of like more engaging visually for them, and, and myself included, you know, like you, you're just more interested in sitting down and absorbing it and spending time with it. With that, like where you don't have like one host telling you everything, does that also come with like a lot of challenges too that you got to overcome when you're... I think just like, like developing anything else from scratch, like there's like, you know, unique challenges, but the, the, so the new storytelling without sort of somebody like with a camera talking to people can be quite challenging. Again, I think the main restriction there is that you have to stay true to the actual narrative. And you're working with journalists who, you know, are trained journalists who like to, you know, stay on the story and as tight to the story and as tight to the actual reporting as possible. So then when you start begin to animate something or you begin to make a design moment out of it, you can add editorial voice without it, it, unintentionally. You can sort of animate somebody to look more evil or animate somebody to look less evil and in doing so are you casting editorial voice on something that should be reported uh in sort of a neutral tone and so that's the question you're constantly asking yourself on this sort of media like am i doing due diligence to this story here and am i doing it right and i think that's sort of the confines of of these sorts of things while at the same time that's also the advantage that you have you know and so no longer do we exist in this news time where everything you report needs to be neutral, right? Like when, when you exist in a news world where one side is telling complete lies and one side is not telling lies, I think in some sense you have to be able to label that. And you also in an advantage because if you do something in animation or you do something editorially, again, you can sort of tell, tip your hat to the viewer, like we know this is ridiculous. We know this other person on the other side of it is telling lies or not telling the truth. And here's sort of like a way of emotionally telling you that, that we understand what's going on here and like helping the viewer understand. So while it can be sort of its biggest constraint, it's also a, a sort of great advantage. Um, especially also, it can be an advantage because the story is oftentimes already there for you, which, you know, I, I don't consider myself the best storyteller. I, I, I mean, I, I tell stories, but they're they're non-fiction stories so they're already there it's just sort of like there to for the taking and you can craft whatever you want out of it versus like a you know a fiction filmmaker where that you know it comes from scratch it comes from their own mind to some degree so vice news tonight seems to be pretty experimental it seems to be like implementing a lot of new ideas uh do you think that this might have like a larger implication for the news media industry as a whole do you think other people might want to incorporate some of these ideas as well a hundred percent i mean i see it happening every day not only, you know, we've been on air for five years now, 
we're sort of the first of its kind. The, this sort of storytelling like existed a little bit on the internet and stuff, like a little bit on YouTube, but I don't think it was on a nightly news program and on television and then reaching a lot of audience. And, and now I can see sort of trickle down effects from the work that we've done on all journalistic outlet, outlets. And you know, luckily enough, I've worked there for a long time. The creative team I work with specifically, a lot of those people have left and gone to other journalistic outlets and are making the same kind of work there. And you're seeing it more and more. And I, I, I think it, it, it has changed the face of what I will call like short form video news, where you're telling these stories in sort of a shorter format, you know, between five and 10 minutes. And I, and I think it has a larger implication, especially as, you know, news switches to a space where they're telling new stories that don't necessarily happen in spaces where you could have put a camera before and film them when there's internet crime and security and technology and all these things that happen in, in, in these virtual and digital spaces, how do you begin to tell those stories uh, without animation or without design? I don't actually think it can be done very well. Uh, so I think in, in showing that those moments can be opened up to this new type of storytelling, we're definitely, we definitely changed the face of news, or at least I like to hope so. A lot of college-age people, they'll see like um, working at, at Vice, like the sort of job you have is sort of like something they might aspire to do as well. So like, what was the process like getting hired there? Maybe what did you start out doing to what do you do now? So I, prior, prior to working, I, I've been working at Vice for five years now. Um, prior to working at Vice, I uh, was a freelance um, motion graphics artist in uh, New York City. Uh, for 10 years or so, um, I got my first job um, at the SCAD career fair, actually. I was suggested by a friend to go and show my portfolio and met with a small motion graphics uh, company there called Perception. They make um, lots of film opens and film closes for Marvel movies now and sort of sat down with them and they were really nice and they liked my work. And I, I was a visual effects major at the time and they were sort of a more motion graphics house and they were looking for somebody who sort of had a more technical background. Uh, so I got my first job there and worked and sort of got my feet underneath me and then Luckily enough, New York City was in sort of a, a rich moment of freelance motion graphics work. So I struck out on my own and made it a goal to sort of work on a variety of projects. Um, I was this visual effects major. So like I got my start sort of working in Maya and I wanted to do Render Man for a while. And that's sort of like more in-depth technical 3D work. But then really sort of found a love for design uh, and motion graphics once I sort of started working in the world. And I made it a goal to sort of have a variety of projects and a variety of studio sizes and a variety of work underneath me. So I worked on some more visual effects-esque film commercial work and then tried to get a little bit of work like on sets and working on film shoots and sort of like seeing what happens in that part of the business. Uh, and then lots of documentary work. And then so that documentary work specifically, and I think my very background as well too, led to this position advice, which was one where they needed somebody to come from TV, uh, sort of, but had also done a lot of documentary and sort of new stuff, but then, you know, had had seen other aspects of the business because we were just advice, we were starting something from scratch that had never done, been done before, sort of like, what does it look like on camera? What does, what do maps look like? What does graphics look like? What's an animation? And I think this sort of rich background in lots of different um, mediums helped me get that role. And the hiring process is fairly straightforward. I think you sort of apply for these jobs already, you know, I, I had already known some people inside the company by working inside New York and meeting lots of people. 
and being kind to a lot of people and, and getting remembered by humans you work with so that when they go other places, you know, they can bring you in and stuff. So I think it's getting hired in places like this is a bit about like, you know, making sure that you have a wide variety of work that you're proud of and that you feel is good and that you just sort of, I don't know, like be nice to people when you show up and be eager to work and want to be a part of what's there and be proud of that. Um, I, I, I do think that SCAD does a very good job preparing for that. We had a team of about 15 people in this design part of the organization. Uh, and I think like five or seven of them went to SCAD somewhere in there, which is a pretty, pretty big chunk, a third of the people. Uh, and I think it's just a sort of varied background. You sort of knew that somebody who went to SCAD, not saying if you didn't go to SCAD, this wasn't true, but you knew if somebody went to SCAD, they sort of had the design and art language underneath them in the vernacular of design underneath them to be able to have these sort of design oriented conversations easily. You knew they had sort of like a base level skill set to put them in a good position. Um, and they had a good understanding of the software that we're using on a regular basis, uh, which is a large part of it. Do you think it's like shaped your artistic expression, how you've developed your style? How do you think um, SCAD played a role in that? You know, the one thing you learn at SCAD, which I sort of have brought into the, the rest of my life, is that because of the like campus or the people you interact with and that there's a huge variety of majors, you learn that while you might be motion media or you might be visual effects, you can experiment in other spaces and feel good about experimenting in those other spaces. And I think the foundation arts really sets you up for that. Like, you know, I, in high, I went to sort of, I was sort of an art major in high school. I went to a high school that had the opportunity to sort of like take different paths and I took an art path. And I was really into sculpture at the time. And I think that sort of encouraged me to go into this 3D CGI space as well too, because it's sort of like modeling a sort of a sculpture in, in 3D. And I sort of took that into other aspects in this interdisciplinary uh, work, which they encourage at SCAD. And then exiting SCAD, I sort of like took into the rest of my work as well. You know, very like, I sort of have a digital interdisciplinary work now. I do um, a lot of different style, a lot of creative coding and, and experimentation now. Uh, but again, like this, this opportunity to experiment other majors in other spaces and other visual spaces and other style spaces. Um, you know, my, my wife went to SCAD, she's a fibers major, uh, and now she is an illustrator and textile designer and makes her own stuff. And she sort of has a studio at, in our house. Um, uh, and that sort of like is, is the essence, I think, of SCAD and the essence of like being a, a professional artist these days is that you just sort of have to like absorb as much art as you can and, and introduce that into your own style and express yourself through that, through those methods. Yeah, it's so important to be like well-rounded and like understanding of a lot of different disciplines. So like content wise, though, you seem to be really drawn to um, nonfiction. What drew you to like news? It's just something I've always been into, you know, I, like I, I've always read nonfiction uh, books and I've you know, my older brother's a history teacher. And so I think since we were kids, we always had this sort of like interest in storytelling from this nonfiction space. And I've always just had a curiosity for it. Uh, I was a news junkie prior to working in the news. Um, even when I was working, you know, in broadcast television and on commercials, I was always like had a newspaper um, in my face and always reading articles. And then 
I had this opportunity presented itself to work on a news program sort of at the pinnacle of like what might consider the greatest news cycle of the past 50 years for a lot of people, like obviously incredibly dark and terrible things are happening right now in the world. Uh, but this real opportunity to be to participate in something that I thought was the honest medium uh, in sort of a commercial time. If I'm gonna be working in this space, which is visual storytelling, which often has a commercial outlet uh, of making commercials or making TV or making broadcast packages for films or whatever, those are sort of always commercial roles. And to sort of be able to work in something that maybe serves a greater good, I don't know, That's, that's that feels like a little uh, over, grandizing of, uh, of of the news, but at least potentially could serve a greater good and tell these sort of stories that need to be told um, while also there to be commercial. Let's be honest, the show wanted viewers and needs to make money. Um, but that sort of sucked me in a little bit. Uh, and then I just went deeper into the news as well when I was there, just because you had no choice. But it's not all dark and gloom. Like, yes, Donald Trump was president and that's terrible, but we also got to tell a lot of like, amazing fun stories and make light of it and i think sort of like you could watch the tv show and have a deeper understanding of, of these things that were going on but then also walk away like feeling good about certain moments and feeling more informed and i think that's sort of what sucked me into it and you mentioned trump his sort of like attack on the media did that affect your work at all for the past four years do you think it's going to be different these next four years considering some of the most powerful people are saying news is fake. Like, what? how does that impact your work? What's interesting about Vice, and I think Vice Media, is that a lot of the people that will say news is fake, like I said before, it, you know, the news can feel so disingenuous at times when some guy with a lot of makeup, more and more often women and people of color now, but typically usually some white guy with a ton of makeup on is telling you how you're supposed to view this news event. And so I think advice by telling the story from a different perspective and being on the street with people and then animating these things and telling them from a, a visually interesting space, you just sort of felt like somebody was speaking more directly to you and, and, and treated the viewer with a bit more, I think, I think respect to some degree. And so while that, while those attacks on the mainstream media, if you want to call it that, will have long lasting effects on media that I am in no position to begin to speak about, I think it, it allowed us to to capitalize on it a little bit and draw viewers into our form of storytelling, sort of an alternative form. And then to answer your, you know, the first part of your question, like Trump attacking the news, for my personal style, my personal work, I saw that sort of as like, all right, well, you know, if if he's gonna go mask off, like we can go mask off. So then we like, you know, we did a lot of editorial cartoons about Donald Trump. I did a sort of like, you know, a lot of like weird visual effectsy, like. 3D moments of Trump, like head turning into a balloon and drifting off into space and like, you know, Trump being a cactus when he was campaigning in Arizona and sort of like these cartoony editorial moments that were very rich at a different time period in this history, sort of like in the, the politics of the 20s and 30s in this country uh, and the political machine editorial cartoons were very popular. Um, and then they sort of died off, at least I could tell as magazines were dying off. And so we sort of tried to bring that back a little bit and say like, you know, these, a lot of these people, a lot of these big politicians are attacking the, the media are media characters themselves. Like, right, Trump is not an honest politician. He's a television star. 
And so it's like, if you want to be a television star, with that comes all the other stuff. Like, I'm going to make a joke out of you because TV in its essence is somewhat of a joke. Obviously, it's Donald Trump is not a joke because he has immense power, but you get the idea. No, it sounds like you're able to like put a lot of like your personality into your work sometimes, like in those cartoons you're talking about. Has there been like a favorite project you've been able to work on? I think the whole project as a whole, you know, we we did so much. We did, I was, we've done this show for five years and it, there's been so many fun moments of like doing different animations and just working in this space and the camaraderie of it. I can't say it is a favorite project. I, I personally did a lot of editorial Trump cartoons of Trump himself, which I very much enjoyed. Um, and just cause it's like, you know, it, again, like it can be so dark. So you get these sort of like moments of light of just like happiness and you can crack a little smile every once in a while. I think that really sort of, it's been my favorite. What do you hope people can take away from your work? What makes it stand out? What makes it unique? But I hope that when people watch the work that I make and the storytelling I do, that they feel sort of a deeper emotional connection to whatever story we're trying to tell at the time. That in in this new space, if we're typically talking about this sort of larger project of my most recent history, I want people to feel a deeper connection to the news. And, you know, uh, we, I've been lucky to work through this period where people have come back to news and come back to journalism uh, in a way that people were sort of walking away from. And if you can watch a piece and say, that piece I really enjoyed, it was visually very cool and fun to watch. And it made a difference. Like I feel, I feel something after watching it. I either feel sad or I feel attached to it. I feel for the people we're telling the story about, if it's sort of immigrants who were swept away, um, or if it's a period piece on sort of um, environmental concerns in, in a city in the United States that we animate. Uh, if you can feel some sort of emotional attachment to it, I think I've really been successful at, at what I was trying to do. And that's all I'm really hopeful. Um, at the same time, also, I just like hope that people are just like, oh, that, that was cool. Like, I, I like visual things. I'm a visual person. I think a lot of people who go to scatter visual people. And if something is visual pleasing to me, sometimes that's just enough as well, too. So I also hope that like you watch something, you're like, oh, that, that was really cool. I like I like the technique. They did. Maybe it wasn't paying attention to the story. It wasn't for me, but at least it was fun to look at. So and we can all use a little more things that are fun to look at in our life. Hello everyone, it's Meg again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian McGee. I wanted to thank you for listening to this week's episode and be sure to check back again on Friday, March 12th for our eighth episode with Hallie Hill, a writer whose short story was recently published in the Oxford American. As always, our podcast is available on Spotify or at scaddistrict.com. Thanks again.